Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing? It is so good to see you today. I, when I sit over there after a while, my knee starts going. I'm like chomping at the bit because I've got this fire inside of me. I'm so ready to share and just sit back and relax. It's an encouraging word today. It is an encouraging word today. So um, I want to activate the gift of God in you. And everyone before me has been preaching my message. So, and it's even about Moses, which Kathy Vinsek said she's teaching about today. So I want to start out and talk just a little bit about my own leadership journey. Um, I've been taken, I just finished an eight-week class in seminary on Christian leadership development. I wrote a 10-page research paper about the biblical foundations of Christian leadership. And through all of this, I've been examining my own journey of leadership. And I'm just going to be really honest on January 30th, 2022, I wrote, I don't want to be a leader. (laughs) I mean, I'd been talking about it with God for a good three weeks at that point. I don't want to be a leader. And God's response, you already are. (laughs) It's like, you know, an orange saying, I don't want to be an orange. No choice, too bad. You already are. (laughs) It's what you are. Oh, Lord, I didn't win that argument with him. But one of the books that I read is called The Leadership Challenge. And there was a survey that asked people, who was your most important leadership role model? Was it a business leader, a religious leader like a pastor, maybe a movie star, a family member, political leader, a teacher or a coach, a professional athlete? And out of all of those categories for most important leadership role model, 40% chose family member. Family member. We don't look, many of us don't look at ourselves as leaders. But if you were born into a family, which you were, we all were, then there are areas of leadership in your life. You are leading people whether you know it or not. You're setting an example. You're setting the tone. I mean, my kids knew where to find me between 7 and 8 in the morning. It was at my Bible study desk. Now, I don't know if they're still following. Well, I know Gregory, every day he still reads his Bible. Some days, when I, I know when I'm not reading my Bible, Gregory's reading his Bible. Because he learned that example at home. You're leading people. So as I talk about Moses and his leadership journey, I don't want you to think, well, I'm not a leader. (laughs) Because we all can relate with with what Moses went through. He went through the the three Ds, discouragement, disappointment, and despair. Is that right? (laughs) And we all experience that. And I want to give you encouragement today about how you can overcome that. So with that, we are going to start in, in Exodus Let's see. If you'll turn, I think I'm not, I'm getting ahead of myself. There we go. Well, just wait. Turn to Exodus and then I'll tell you the chapter. <laughs> so, 
Moses, it's funny, they're talking about it in children's church. They've been talking about him in the um, Spanish conference. He lived 120 years, according to Deuteronomy 34.7. He lived 120 years. Now, think about this breakdown of his life. The first 40 years, he lived in Egypt. He grew up as the prince of Egypt. 40 years in Egypt. 40 years as a shepherd in Midian. And he didn't get started in his ministry as the deliverer until he was 80 years old. I mean, sometimes I look at myself and think, I'm just getting started at 50. You know, I don't have a, you know, I don't have this long legacy, but he didn't get started till 80. So if anybody's 80 and above, you can just get started now. It is not too late for God to call you into ministry. He got started at 80. So this morning, we're not going to focus too much on his birth, um, most, if you know the story of Moses, he was born in a time when Pharaoh was killing the Hebrew babies. And because he was beautiful, Moses' mother chose to put him in a basket and send him down the Nile River. And Pharaoh's daughter pulled him out of the Nile. And he was raised in Pharaoh's house. First, he was nursed by his bio mom, his biological mom. But then he was raised by his adoptive mother. So he was a person of two families. He had two families, two mothers. When you think about Moses, tell me what you think of, if there's a word that comes to mind. Humble, leader, prophet, bold. That's a good one. He was an overcomer. Anybody else? Shepherd. Yes. He loved justice. Yes. A friend of God. Oh, yeah. I mean, he was in the Lord's presence. An inter- oh, yes. He, he interceded for Israel. When I think about him, I think about imperfect. <laughs> that is how I relate to Moses. And that's what we're going to see in this first, the first 80 years of his life. There's a little bit of imperfection there. You know, he really became the deliverer at 80. He had great dreams for what he wanted to do for his people, but, but then he messed up. He spent 40 years with, you know, animals in the desert. My father um, was a cow farmer for many years, and I would be out in the pasture going, oi, you know, calling the cows or feeding the cows. We're, you know, giving them... Um, giving them vaccinations, and they're in the stall, and, you know, we, we did the cow farming. Not pleasant. It was not very pleasant. He was, I don't know what animals he was with. Some people love it. I mean, I loved being at Grandma's farm and doing all the fun things with my grandma. I didn't enjoy putting the cows in the chute and locking them down and giving them, no, that was not fun. But, you know, Moses goes into this desert for a season of preparation, and so we can also, we can identify with Moses. Sometimes we have these great dreams and then we're knocked down to size. Something happens and we are, we are humbled, at times humiliated. We deal with conflict. We deal with rejection. We experience failure, but we're going to see a lot of grace in the life of Moses. So now turn with me to Exodus 2. There you go. Exodus 2. I, didn't, I couldn't remember if I was starting in chapter 1 or chapter 2. Okay. 
So the first 10 chapters are about his birth. Like I said, I was going to wait for later. But I want you to just think about what kind of expectations his parents had of him. You know, his mother puts him in a basket. He's beautiful. She gives control of his life to God, and God rescues him. Do you think she thought maybe that was for a purpose? It was for a purpose. And then she sees Pharaoh's daughter adopt him. And here we have a Hebrew person, part of this group of people that's in captivity as slaves. We have a Hebrew person put in the house of Pharaoh, educated in all the law, educated in, in everything he would need to know to be a part of the Egyptian society. Do you think his mother had some expectations of what he might do for his people? Just like when Barack Obama was elected, I think the African-Americans thought, finally a person to represent our interest. And here we have Moses, finally a person that can represent our interest. There were expectations of what he would do for his people. But then we also have Pharaoh's daughter who's raising him to be a prince in Egypt. Do you think she had expectations of him? There were great expectations. Do you think he knew? You think he knew what was expected of him? Maybe God had spoken to him through the words of his mother in those early years, deliverer, called, beautiful, leader. Their words we spoke over our children from birth, words spoken over them. Those things don't go away. You remember, called, leader, beautiful, deliverer. Exodus 2, um, we're going to start with verse 11. It's on your handout, and you can also read it with us. About this man with great expectations. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up, so he's about 40 years old, finally had grown up, that he went out to his fellow Hebrews and looked at their hard labors. He had compassion. He went to them. He went to them. He had compassion. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his fellow Hebrews. Now get this. I love that it says, So he looked this way and that. He looked to see if the coast was clear. And when he saw that there was no one around, he struck and killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. Now, Moses knew, I believe, that he was called to be a liberator. And this this verse troubles me. Because we want to see Moses acting in that role as the rescuer, the deliverer, the liberator. He's the prince of Egypt. He stood up. But he knew he was doing something wrong. It says he looked this way, that way. Because he knew it was wrong. When he saw no one was there, he did that. And then he hid the body in the sand. My cord... Thank you. Brian's over there like, (laughs) like, yeah, brush it off, Lisa. (laughs) Thank you. So he reacted out of anger. 
And I believe this was a failure on Moses' part. Let's look and see what happens. Verse 13. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, he walked up there. You know, he's like, why are you striking each other? He walked up there like he was somebody because he knew who he was. Why are you striking your companion? But the Hebrew said, who made you? Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me? as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid, and he said, surely the matter has become known. Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard about this matter, he tried to kill Moses. Moses blew it. He knew he was called to be a deliverer. He knew that he was raised up like Esther for such a time as this, but in his anger, And in his passion and in his immaturity, he messed up. Has anybody ever messed up? Anybody ever messed up? So in my years at Global River, probably starting around 2014, 2015, God began to raise me up as a leader. I led ladies' ministry for many years. I spoke um, at conferences and, well, retreats that we had. And... It was not always an easy journey because I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know how to put together a leadership team. I didn't know what I was doing. And I made some pretty major failures. I had some, I had some failures. I alienated people. I made people angry at me. For a while, people would come to me and chew me out, and then I'd pass them up to Pastor Tom. It was like one by one. They'd, if, if they were female, they came, I was a ladies' minister, so they came to me first, chewed me out, and then I'd <laughs> send them to Pastor Tom. It was rough. And after that season, I remember there was one time, I was, uh, it was February 24th, 2016, because I looked it up. It was the eighth week of my Philippians Bible study, and I had said to myself, I never want to stand on that stage again. It was that bad. It was that bad. And you can look it up on February 24th, 2016. There were some storms that day, and I was sitting in my recliner, and Pastor Tom called me and said, I think we should cancel class for tonight because it's not safe. Oh, yes, please. I'm in full agreement. And, And then he said, well, I can start the March 1st class a week later and let you finish. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to inconvenience you. You just go right ahead. Because I never wanted to stand on that stage again. Honestly, never wanted to be there again. Do you remember that? I was sitting in the recliner. I know exactly where I was. Oh, yeah, please, go ahead. You just start next week. I'm all good. Thank you. Oh, Because sometimes in our zeal, in our passion, and in our immaturity, we mess things up. A lot of us learn things the hard way. I am much more cautious what I say in the microphone. I am much more cautious in the people that I choose to surround me. You know, honestly, finally it came to a point, most of my friends are pastor's wives. Because they know what it's like, or pastors, or pastors' wives, because they know, they know what it's like to walk in a role of leadership and be betrayed. That's, that's hard stuff. Thank God, you know, I, I stayed in the game. 
But let's look, hallelujah, I've stayed in the game. I know how Moses feels. Now, I didn't know this, maybe I'd forgotten it. Acts 7, turn with me to Acts 7. We're going to learn a little bit more about Moses in the book of Acts. Acts 7, um, 22. And this fills us in on some of those gaps that are in Exodus. Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was proficient in speaking and action. But when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his countrymen, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, He defended and took vengeance for the oppressed man by fatally striking the Egyptian. And this is what I want you to hone in on. And he thought that his brothers understood that God was granting them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. He thought the people saw the gift of God on him. He thought they knew who he was, but they didn't. Um, verse, jump down to verse 35. It says, this Moses, whom they disowned. They didn't just reject him. They disowned him. They cut him off from themselves and, and their family and their countrymen. They disowned him, saying, who made you? <laughs> who made you a ruler and a judge? Is the one whom God sent to be both a ruler and a deliverer with the help of the angel who appeared to him in the thorn bush. We're gonna, we're gonna get to that part about the thorn bush. Who made you? They questioned his identity. They disowned him. So at 40 years old, he was rejected by the very ones he was called to deliver. Sometimes the very ones that we're trying to help reject us. Sometimes they don't want help. Not everybody wants our help. Not everybody wants your help. And that's hard, especially when you see the great need and some people just don't want help. They disowned him. They disowned him. How do you think that felt? How do you th- I mean, he knew. He knew who God created him to be and others didn't see it. And honestly, There's going to be a long time that you're going to walk in who God created you to be until someone else sees it. I know the first time, one of the early times, um, Michael Thornton prayed over me. Um, He was a pastor here for a long time, and he and Amber prayed over me, and they prayed, we need what you have. Because I thought, well, I don't have anything special. I'm, I'm just... I'm just a four foot ten woman who likes to talk, you know, sweet little church lady. But this great anointed man who I respected said, we need what you have. And I want to tell you, we need what you have. Each one of you carries a special gift, a special calling, a special purpose, an identity in Christ. And I need what you have. I need, we need what you have. I acknowledge right now the gift that God has placed in each one of you. Each one of you, we need what you have. We acknowledge it. We see it. 
So um, a quote in my book, this is on your handout. Moses experienced what all leaders ultimately fear, rejection by the people they are called to lead. So I want you to think about in your own life, whether it's just in living life, it could be in a leadership role, some kind of role. How How have you been shaped by early mistakes that you made? I, gosh, I remember one thing that I regret the most when I was an early Christian and very zealous. I was 20, 20 years old and we went to these American Nuclear Society meetings and I was a student and the professors would get us drinks. I was underage, the professors would get us drinks. And so I would be drinking these drinks, Christian, you know, just been saved, getting tipsy. And I remember at one of these meetings, There were eight of us around the table for the meal, and I asked if I could pray. Zealous, stupid, I was both. And the professors talked about it later because we even had Jewish professors. And they were like, well, what if Dr. Stam had been at her table? And there I am tipsy, praying in Jesus' name at a nuclear society meeting. Zealous, immature. And I still regret it. I mean, when I think about some, maybe God's going to heal that with me telling you about it. But I regret that. It was not a good witness. Not a good witness. We all have these mistakes that, that we regret. Things we may have done just out of plain immaturity. Sometimes we knew better and still did it. Sometimes we may have made the mistake on purpose. You know, Moses alienated those he thought he was called to lead. He alienated his family. His father wanted to kill him. So when we go through these things, you know, is, is our identity cemented by what others see us to be? Or can we walk knowing that we failed and messed up and take another step and try again? Moses had the courage to keep going after this failure. And we're gonna see, um, let's look on our, look, turn to Exodus 2, you're already there, verse 15. So he flees from justice, he goes out into the desert, but he remains the deliverer. Uh, Verse 15, when Pharaoh heard about this matter, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian. That's modern-day Saudi Arabia is where Midian is. He sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to their father, Ruel, he said, why have you come back so soon today? And they said, an Egyptian saved us. An Egyptian saved us from the shepherds. And what is more, he even drew water for us and watered the flock. So he said to his daughters, where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat. So Moses had the courage to keep going after failure. He went to this well. He stood up 
for these young ladies and helped them. He was still the deliverer, even though he was like kicked out of ministry. He was kicked out of Egypt. He had to run for his life, but it didn't change who he was. Even though he went to the desert for 40 years, he was still the deliverer. And y'all, it's hard to continue to serve when you're hurting. He was hurting. He was afraid. He didn't know what was going to happen to him. But he had the courage to serve in the midst of his fear, pain, and, and distress. That, that is hard stuff when you are as broken as broken can be. But you still have the compassion to serve others. That's hard. But we see that Moses did that. Verse 21, you know, he was still the deliverer no matter what his emotional state was. Whether he was scared, hurting, grieving, lonely, because now he's in a foreign land. He was still the deliverer. Those words spoken over him were still there. He still knew who he was, displaced, (laughs) disowned. Verse 21, and Moses was willing to live with the man. It was, his name was Jethro, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. So Moses had the courage to be and feel at a place. Has anybody ever felt out of place? I'm going to tell you all a little story. So Brian and I, our skin is, is white. And when we were at our former church, we've been here about 17 years, but when we were at our former church, there were small groups. And it would have been really, for a while, we went to the all-white small group. They were, it just, they were just all white because there's a culture to white people. We're comfortable in our culture. But then God said, no, you take your two children and you go to the black small order and quiet. That culture was loud and it was energetic and it was boisterous and there was some good eating. We ate fried chicken, we ate all that good stuff and there was actually even something I cooked that they liked. I brought it every time. But for years, we felt out of place. Even our children felt just a little out of place. But that's where God sent us. And that's where God used us. And I'll tell you what, when we moved into our house that we've been in since 2005, we had this, I have a hundred, who's been in my foyer and seen my big piano? Some of you have been in my foyer, seen my big piano. White men can be skinny and small. But those big black men, they came and six of them came and hoisted that piano up into my house. I I was ever so grateful that God had placed us around those big, strong men. Now, I hope I hadn't said anything to offend anybody. But let me tell you, it was a different culture. We felt out of place, but God sent us there. They're still our friends. Love those people. They are my brothers and my sisters, even if they're louder than I am. (laughs) Even if I'm the sweet little church lady and they're energetic, boisterous, you know about it, right? (laughs) It's different. Like white people want to be all proper. Oh, no, it was fun. It was fun. (laughs) So Moses 
had lived in Egypt for 40 years, and then he's a shepherd for 40 years in Midian. So at the age of 80, when he looks back over his life, what has he accomplished? The deliverer. His countrymen for 40 more years have still been in captivity. And he's out there in Midian. So sometimes in our own passion and immaturity, we fail and we're possibly sent into exile for our blunders. It happens. But that's not the end because we learn during these early mistakes. I know when Brian and I first came to this church, um, we had left another church because that church changed its vision. Our vision was this way. The leadership of the church changed the vision this way. But we still wanted to go this way. And so that's why God brought us here. But in that leaving, there were things that were said that made me feel like no church would ever want us. Do you remember that? I felt like no church would ever want us. And I remember when Brian was called to be an elder and just how blessed I felt. A church wants us. A church wants us. Because we felt like we wouldn't be wanted anywhere because we had left a church. I mean, that was the first time we had ever left a church. But we were wanted. So Moses, at a place sent into exile, God still wanted him. It's not the end. We learn, spiritual heroes learn that pain and conflict are part of the package. It just goes with the territory. There's an enemy that's always fighting us. And, and even like the, one of the last times I spoke, there was a gentleman that was just trying to encourage me about my speaking. And then he said, you talked about being in seminary too much. Like, oh, well, it is what I'm doing like 30 hours a week. So it is consuming my life is what I'm learning. And so as I went home, I could I didn't remember all the positive things people said, but the enemy just kept saying, you, did, you said that too much. <laughs> we have this enemy that's fighting us all the time. And so as we move out into our calling and ministry and purpose, whatever that may be, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict. Even innocent things people say because of these filters and triggers that we have because of our past, they get interpreted a certain way. I interviewed Pastor Tom for my leadership class and I'm gonna quote something he said because we talked about conflict and he said, at some point you start to figure out that you're not perfect and the people that you're, you're leading and loving and managing aren't perfect either. You know, we are just a bunch of imperfect people and we're gonna hurt each other but even Jesus, he told me, reminded me, even when Jesus was betrayed, Jesus washed Judas' feet, even in betrayal. So when we step out and say yes to God's plan for our lives and serve him, there's going to be conflict. There are going to be days that you say, I don't ever want to do that again, ever, ever. For me, it took me 18 months for God to heal me of that pain and stand back up here again. 18 months. So we have a choice at that point when we're facing this conflict, walking in our calling. Do we wanna surrender 
or do we want to stay in the game? And sometimes that's a really hard choice, and sometimes it takes a while to figure that out. It takes a while to, for, for God to work on you, to heal you, to speak to you, to encourage you. But Moses risked conflict again. He was the deliverer. So I just wanna ask you, you know, if you have a story of early failure, immaturity, passion, mistakes, and you messed up, are you just gonna stay defeated and stay a failure? Or are you gonna stay in the game and get back up to bat? What are you gonna do? One thing, it's easy to just stay home and sit on the couch and watch Netflix. It's hard to get back in the game, put yourself out there as a target for the enemy and serve God. That takes guts. It takes grit. But you have it. You have it. You have to stay in the game. You have to stay in the game. Quote on your handout says, you may think you have lost your position or platform or power, but if you pursue your call, you can still be a player. You know, sometimes we've ruined our reputation. Sometimes our mistakes have ruined who people think we are. And that's a hard place when you've ruined your reputation. Moses' reputation was a murderer. It was a murderer. When God spoke to him at the burning bush, we're going to look at that in just a minute. That man was a murderer. That was his reputation. Failure, do nothing. He had accomplished nothing. Nothing. Except keeping some animals fed, watered, raising, well, raising a family, that was, was good. But the good, yes, that's good. It's good, I affirm that. The good news is that God uses these desert seasons when we're sent into exile, working on, am I gonna stay in the game? Trying to restore our reputations. God uses that. James 1, verse two to four, says, consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Some verses say perseverance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Those, that word perfect doesn't mean like all put together. It means you hit the mark. It's like there's a bullseye of who Jesus wants you to be, and when you are perfect, you are hitting the mark. That's what perfect is. That's what God wants us to be. It, it means we're looking like Jesus. That's what you learn in the desert, in exile, disowned, rejected, failure, no reputation. Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So when you think about Moses' 40 years in the desert, there were some things that he learned. I mean, first of all, he raised a family. He had a lot of alone time with God for God to work on his heart, to work some maturity in his heart, some self-control in his heart, to learn how to walk out holiness because Moses was gonna interface with a holy God. 
He had to learn how to walk out holiness. He also gained a father figure in Jethro. You know, he grew up without his biological father. When he fled Egypt, his adopted father wanted to kill him. So it's in the desert season that this man comes along Moses and encourages him, who speaks to him, you are still the man God created you to be. You may be stuck here with my animals, but you are still the deliverer. And I brought my journal today. Um, Where's George Casola? I know I saw him earlier. He was in the back. His wife, Arlene, was my mentor through all these years. Well, for many years. And so I looked through my journal when I was going through some of these things. She says, you're a leader. There it is. She says, you're a leader. And then I turn over a few pages. I'm losing it. And she'll say, oh, there it is, gifted at leadership. Then you turn a few more pages, and then she would say, you're a gifted communicator. So eventually I learned, no, I don't say I'm gifted at leadership because I still don't believe that. I know I am a leader. I have been since fifth grade, even though I try to say I'm not. But I can say I'm a gifted communicator because that woman said that to me so many times over so many years, I finally started to believe it. And that's what Jethro did in the desert. You're a deliverer. You're called by God. You're a beautiful man, Moses, just like his parents saw. And you were saved for a reason. God has a purpose for your life. That is what Jethro did. He confirmed Moses' identity in the desert. So who is it whose voice has been confirming your identity in your desert season? And who can you confirm. Who can you say to, I need what you have? Who can you say to, I see your gift? Who can you say, how can I serve you? How can I help you become the person God's called you to be? So there are Jethro's in our desert season, and God can use us to encourage others who are still in their season of preparation, who are still getting some of those rough edges rubbed off so that God can really use them. So I want us to look at Exodus 2. I know it's almost out of time, but if you need to leave, God bless you and you're going. If you can stay, please do. So I'll try to go through it briefly, but Moses encounters God at the burning bush. So we'll start with Exodus 3, 1. That's where we'll start. It says, Now Moses was pasturing the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not being consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burning up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he, the Lord said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing 
this holy ground. I love that God calls that ground holy. It's the desert. It's where Moses has served in obscurity. He was a nobody, a shepherd. But it was that place of preparation, and God called it holy. It was holy ground. We're going to jump down to verse 10, because God, God says he's seen the struggle, the slavery of his chosen people. And God says in verse 10, and now come and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So Moses is getting ready to start these excuses. And here's the first, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? So the good thing is Moses had the courage to dialogue with God. It's safe to talk to God. It's safe to say, I don't want to be a leader. To share your honest thoughts and to allow God to correct you. So Moses makes four excuses. He's trying to protect himself from being hurt again, from being disappointed, from messing everything up again. You know, he's finally got this peaceful place in Midian. And God's like, okay, <laughs> we're trying this again. So Moses' first excuse is out of insecurity. Moses says, who am I? Who am I? But God said, I'll be with you. And this is the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship here on this holy ground, on this mountain. So when you ask yourself, well, who am I? What answer do you hear? Moses probably heard failure, nobody, screw up. Who, who am I? The only answer that can, that's a true answer found to that question is in our identity in Christ. On my own, I mess a whole lot of things up, but in Christ, I am called, sanctified, healed, delivered, anointed, appointed, commissioned. We begin to believe who we are in Christ. That insecurity is always going to say, well, who said you could do that? Who said? Who said you could say, I'm a minister? Who said you could say I'm a professional speaker? Who said you could, well, Pastor Tom said I could preach after a whole lot of years of asking, but there were things we had to work through to get to this point. But who said? Moses says, who am I? But God said, I'm going to be with you. You're accompanied. I know when I get up here, like this morning, I kept thinking, I'm on a wing and a prayer. Like, I am way out here. I am out of my league, out of my depth. Have no clue what I'm doing. But when I get right here, I know that God is accompanying me. And that's how God reassured Moses, I'm going to be with you. And as proof, after I've done what I said I'm going to do, we're going to worship. You're going to worship right here. God is with him. So Moses' next excuse was ignorance. He says, 
basically to God, well, who are you? I mean, first he's like, who am I? But then Moses in verse 13, then Moses said to God, behold, I am going to the sons of Israel and I will say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? He's asking God, who are you? And I love God's answer. I am who I am. And he said, this is what you shall say to the sons of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So to this objection of ignorance, God clarified who he was. And if we're going to respond to the call of God on our lives, we have to know who God is. And you don't find that leaving your Bible closed Sunday to Sunday. If you take your Bible home and stick it in a drawer and never open it, you're not going to know who this God is that's calling you. You're going to say, well, who are you? I don't know anything about you. I can't trust you. Why are you going to send me across town to serve at this ministry when I don't know who you are? It's in that desert place, that season of preparation that God uses for us to know him. And then when you start walking with him, it's a faith walk. And that's where you learn. The next question was doubt. His third excuse was doubt. I'm just going to read Exodus 4, verse 1. Then Moses said, what if? Anytime you hear what if, that's fear and it's doubt. What if? Okay, that's a red flag phrase. What if? I don't know much, but I know that. I know that. What if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? And so then the Lord gives Moses a couple of signs that he can use to prove miracles, miraculous signs to prove. But when God asks you to do something and, you know, first you're like, well, who am I? And then you're like, well, who are you? And once, once that identity and relationship is settled, then the doubt steps in. What if they won't listen to me? What, what if they don't like me? Like, I like when I can look out and I know who likes me because they smile at me. Jim Parker, I was so happy when you showed up because when I got here, I was looking for Jim and Kathy. And then I was like, are they in pants still in Panama? Where are they? Because, I mean, Jim likes everybody, you know, right? He makes us feel special. I look for people who like me because what if they don't believe me? What if they don't like what I preached? What if is what Moses said? It's doubt. Doesn't matter. When we're walking in our calling, people are going to doubt. We're going to doubt, and that's where faith steps in. Sometimes it's just sheer obedience. It's answered with faith, sheer obedience. There were a lot of times I wanted to tell Pastor Tom, I, don't, I can't preach today. I mean, we drove through the snow yesterday to try to get back home. It, when it was 70 degrees and the wind was blowing in Wilmington, it was snowing up in the mountains. And Brian drove me through the snow with me saying, don't go over 40, don't go over 40. You know, coming down the intercontinental divide, it would have been so much easier for me to say, mm, can't make it, Pastor John, bad weather. Not safe, we're tired, we need new tires. You know, not safe. We can come up with so many excuses. Moses' fourth excuse was just escapism. It was flat out, I'm not willing to send somebody else. That's what he said. Send somebody else. 
Then Moses said to the Lord, verse 10, please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in the time past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses said, verse 13, please, Lord, now send the message by somebody else. That's where God got mad. It says the anger of the Lord burned, verse 14. Sometimes that's what we want to say. Just send somebody else. I'm, I'm working through this myself. You know, as I, as I look at a future in ministry and I look at what my flesh wants to do, I'm having to wrestle. Like, do I really want to do this? And I'll be honest, I haven't, there are some things I haven't settled. There are some questions about ministry I have not settled. And, and at times I just want to, sometimes I'm like, here am I, Lord, send me. And then other times I'm like, send somebody else. I don't want to do that. Too hard. Too hard. One of my research papers that I wrote for school, I talked about my two research papers. And one was about how churches that, that believe in the biblical definition of marriage, how those churches can minister to gays and lesbians. And there was one morning as I'm, as I'm sitting with the Lord, having my time with him, that I just felt like, well, what if God is calling me to be a voice in this area? And the fear of the Lord just hit me because I'm like, send somebody else. Because, I mean, y'all have heard me teach, preach. Do y'all hear me talk about controversial things? Not really. No, I don't talk about it. Let Pastor Tom do that hard work or Bishop or Pastor Willie or Pastor Terry or some other leader, if it's political, if it can ruffle a feather, if I can end up getting hurt by it. Mm-mm. Let me just talk about grace. You know, God's grace, Jesus full of grace and truth. Grace, it's, you know, let's just talk about grace because that's safe. But sometimes God is calling us to be a voice. He is raising us up, and we want to we say, send somebody else. But God wants you. There are things I have walked through with my nieces who are lesbians. I know how to talk about one foot in church and one foot loving people. And there are things that you know that only you know, that only you have experienced that only you can share. And God's calling you. And what are you gonna do? Are you gonna say, those failures, uh-uh. Who am I, who are you, what if, send somebody else? Today you have a choice. You can let those early failures disqualify you. You can let fear of being hurt again, disowned, rejected. You can let those things keep you just in the past and never moving forward. Or you can choose to process with the Lord, get healing, let some Jethro speak some truth over you and get back in the game. Because we need what you have. Why don't y'all stand to your feet? This is the point where I wanna ask Pastor Tom to take over or Bishop because I have no clue what I'm doing. But what I wanna do today is activate the gift of God in you that you may have laid down, you may have left it behind in Egypt. You may have let it lie dormant in the desert, 
But God is saying, Moses, Moses, he's calling your name. The bush is burning. He has not forgotten you. You are not disqualified. You are not left behind. He still has use of you. So Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that each person here has been given gifts, has been given talents, has a calling, has a purpose, has a destiny. And Father, I pray for the ones who have failed and blown it. I just declare over them qualified. If Moses the murderer was qualified to receive the Ten Commandments that said don't murder, then you're qualified. I declare qualified. Over the failures, the ones who feel like failures, I declare overcomer, victorious. Over the ones that are scared, I impart courage. I impart courage. I impart boldness in the name of Jesus. I speak power. I speak power over your spirit. Power. Power. I impart courage to the scared, to the timid. To those that are racked in sin, I just declare the blood of Jesus is enough to deliver you. I call forth that self-control Pastor Tom prayed about today. I call forth holiness in the name of Jesus and I break the power of sin over your life. I declare you are qualified, you are called. Thank you, Lord. Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Father, for your grace. I wanna hold up a picture that my husband drew of, of Moses. You know, Moses never made it to the promised land. He never made it. But God let him see it. God took this imperfect man. He fulfilled his purpose. He fulfilled his calling. He led those people to the promised land. He was imperfect. And because of his failures, he didn't get to step foot on it. But God took him on the top of Mount Nebo and let him look at it. That's the grace of God for an imperfect leader. The grace of God for an imperfect called instrument of God. God let him see it. So Father, I just pray for these today. The imperfect leaders, the imperfect called people, the imperfect people just like me. Father, I thank you that they're gonna receive your grace. I thank you for the do-overs. I thank you, Father, that you don't give up on us. In Jesus' name.